Yeah, isn't that, that's a great part of our partnership is I eventually learned to be as unhappy as you are about things. Yeah. That was just great. Yeah, instead of you thanks. influencing me to be more zen and calmer, <laughs> I influenced you to become more paranoid and terrified. Richard. Yes, Paul. How are you? Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm. Uh, I'm enjoying life. That was a pregnant pause there. Well, you know, it's been a couple of years. You know, you weren't allowed to say you were doing good there for a while. It was, you had to kind of put a lot of caveats in front. But it feels like we can kind of, you yeah. know, be nice to have a vaccine. I'd love a little vaccine action. That would be cool. So, look, there's a topic we bring up a lot, and it's something I've learned a lot about. We've hit on it a, a couple of different ways. And, and I'll just say it straight out. It's growth, right? Like growth is one of these words mm-hmm. that shows up in business and product and in technology and startups, the pressure of growth. I mean, it's growth. Here's what's tricky. I would actually say, and I'm, I'm curious what you think. I would say that growth almost doesn't have a definition. Like you can be like, well, it's the, you know, you can show a chart or you can say it's revenue or you can say it's number of people or number of users. It's just growth, right? And it, it doesn't have one definition. And your job, if you're leading, is to go find growth. And it's not always one thing. It ultimately, because you have to pay people and companies exist, or or maybe it's not, maybe you're a not-for-profit and you have to give money away, but ultimately you are looking for some, you know, you're investing some money and you're getting a bigger return mm. than you would get, say, going down to the store and buying honey buns. But aside from that, I just think it's all a lot of hooey and you kind of know it and you learn to feel it. And then you just, you're just always, always looking for growth. And so the real job of a leader is to define what kind of growth matters for you and the organization and how are you going to achieve it? Yes, I agree with that. But let's put aside a very particular cohort that decides that they are going to be 10 people and don't want more than that. I had dinner once with a, someone I respect very much who said, why are you, we were like growing as Postlight has been doing for the last few years. And I was like, it's getting harder. We got to scale up the operational parts, HR, et cetera. And and she looked at me just utterly confused and said, why are you doing this? And it was interesting to hear that because this is someone who is very smart, could easily grow a business if she really wanted to, and decided that she was going to balance her lifestyle, keep income coming in, but she wasn't going to chase growth. It's not that different than the person who has the diner in the small town who knows exactly what his revenue is going to be every year because he knows all of the people in the small town. And the person that saves every penny from that diner and then opens one in another small town. I'll give you a great example, which is, you know, the diner owner in New York City, and they come to buy his building and offer him like $20 million. This happened. And he's yeah, this like, happens. Yeah. And he's like, why would yeah. I do that? I got a great yeah. diner. Well, no, like for $8.95, you get a burger, fries, salad, and a Diet Coke. And he goes, you know how long it took me to perfect the profit margin around that offering? <laughs> and it's, you know, my kids come in, their families come in, people it come is, in after yeah, church. It's less what about gonna, money. Yeah, yeah. It's a great point. I don't really, I don't really want that. And and it, I mean, there's also the element that like later he could sell if he wanted to. It's not, it's okay. It's okay. But most entrepreneurs do what they do. And I think this is something that is 
beyond business. This is something fundamental. It is why there are lines on a map. It is why there is territory. Like we are by our na- by nature ambitious. Even if we're not, if more than one or two percent of us are, that's enough. That's to right. Most require- aren't. Actually, you're making a good point. Most are not. Most are just looking for stability. Looking, for, they have aspirations, but they're more professional rather than like growing a thing, growing an entity. I want to go back to your friend there because I've had that conversation many times because, you know, I think people see me as a kind of unlikely entrepreneur and like to make fun of me and uh, which I welcome. So I've had that conversation about like, you know, why are you growing a business? You're a writer. You have no business growing or making money. Your thing is I'm going to research the purchase of a breakfast nook for the next 60 days. That will take up my free time. That's all you're supposed to do. Yeah. So first of all, you know, like I was always a consultant, but second of all, being a writer, there's no industry left. I wanted to do something. I wanted to get my hands dirty. Anyway, I've always liked that. Like when I was starting out my career, I wanted to get into advertising just so I could see how it worked. I like to go up close Mm, and see, mm. but this isn't about me, right? It's about like what I would say with that small business is that what people do, and I actually say this with a tremendous amount of respect and sometimes jealousy, they stay very anchored in their discipline. They say, I am going to build the best X and it's going to be 10 people. I'm going to build careers. I'm going to make plenty of money. That's fine. I know how to do that. I'm going to build great client relationships. But that next stage up, I'm not going to do it because that will get me out of editorial platform building or design or engineering or, or whatever. And so there's like kind of a natural cap, right? Where they go beyond that, I'm going to spend more of my time working around invoicing or trying to drum up new business than I will doing the thing that I love that I find rewarding on a day-to-day basis. Right. Away from the craft and more towards the operational stuff that comes with growth. Yeah. And I ran the numbers on my writing career and I was like, okay, well, that's not, that's never going to happen. Right. Like I'm not, I can't build a 10 person writing shop. That's very dangerous. I mean, worth noting too, you are, you are in the 0.5% of successful writers. Like you were making, you you could make a living and you could have go down the path. You could go get the job. You could be an editor in some really well-recognized publication. And so you're, you're even an aberration inside of this example. It's funny for me because you're talking about how certain people, you know, there, there are borders for a reason, right? I find disciplines to be very border driven, right? Mm-hmm. Like writers have certain things that they can do and certain things they can't. I remember feeling like, you know, that the people in the information architecture community were a little upset with me for going to learn how to program. Mm. And the programmers, of course, were always really upset that somebody was coming in from other disciplines and and talking about that. People treat their disciplines as territories. I hate that. I just find it to be the biggest drag in the world because no one has all the solutions and you have to put all these pieces together. And actually having the company Mm -hmm. makes that really interesting. You have different disciplines interacting, you have leaders in those disciplines, but you're figuring out how to get a thing done. But what what happens on the other side of that, you put the disciplines together, you put the the different processes and ways of working, ops, design, engineering, product, back-end, front-end, all the different things that you do. But all of those together, when you put them together, you have to drive them with some sort of policy or understanding that kind of will move everything forward. The only thing that moves things forward across disciplines is a sense of growth, which is I'm going to get more work so that we can do more things. It's the only way to activate that kind of work. Yes. If you are, I mean, look, you could do that 
inside of a well-established business, right? You know, the user experience team inside of American Express, but let's be realistic. I'm going to counter, you can't. Explain. Giant orgs build innovation groups and innovation platforms and all kinds of stuff. It's really hard. I've seen and worked with lots of them. Some of them can succeed. Like I'm being a little bit too reductive there, but for the most part, it is an incredible slog to try to create interdisciplinary groups where there's a very large organization. It's political. There's a lot of fighting. And what, what happens is the friction is such that the only people who can succeed are people who are good at organizational politics. Occasionally, you will have a breakout if you have that sort of perfect barrier between the organization and the team. So like Xerox Park is a great example, right? Like they were able to pioneer a ton of stuff because they had very good leadership that was like, I'll go take care of Xerox. You guys go get your beanbag chairs. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but even there, Xerox rejected the organ, right? Like they didn't even welcome it in. Like Xerox is still about copiers today, right? Even though Yeah, no, they could never, it's well, and document management. They could never quite figure out what to do with it because all the new work to them, it looked like copiers plus. Yeah. It's like, oh, we'll make the Star Workstation. It'll cost $20,000 and people will use it to prepare documents. And then Steve Jobs saw the same set of technologies and said, oh, cool, a consumer product that will allow us to blow away the Apple II because it'll have little pictures. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up, Paul. You know, when I approached you to to start Postlight, you said something very interesting to me. You said something along the lines of, I'm curious to see how this works. I want to go inside. And watching you come to terms and really come to understand all of the pieces around the machine, it is a learning experience. I will say this. It is a wild ride. It is inevitably a wild ride, but it is an incredible learning experience to be in the cockpit when you're trying to grow. And also, we are an agency. Agencies are one of the most volatile types of businesses like they're they're just naturally volatile and it's been wild and we are at a point now and this is why this topic's come up is you know we are constantly challenged by growth constantly and then you could yeah this so is- let's park the the decision we've all made let's say it out loud we didn't say enough growth this is fine it's a nice car there's power windows we decided you and yeah. I have a conventional there is a conventional capitalist rationale here which is more growth is better for the organization. Now what people might hear when they hear that is greed, which fine if you want to that is actually fine. You can hear that. But the the thing you may not hear is that because we have a limited time horizon to understand the future of our mm-hmm. business, 4 to 6 months, and then we kind of don't know exactly what postlight will be. We have to continue to grow because that is the only way to manage risks to the business. If I can't get more work in, mm-hmm. and actually, the you know, the person who made this really clear was Rick Webb in his agency book. He's like, that's it. You're either growing or you're shrinking. There is that certain point. There's that equilibrium with, you know, eight to 10 people, and you can kind of turn work away and slow play stuff, and nobody's coming to you with very big projects because they know the scale, and you're very, very boutique. There is an equilibrium you can find, and you can sustain that equilibrium for often for years. I think you can do that at eight to ten. I don't think you can do that at seventy. Like that's real. Like cruising altitude at seventy, it's it's nearly impossible. It's very hard to do. It's totally impossible because you need big things and you need sales and you've got groups split up. And also, eight to ten might have one admin, but seventy needs a layer of people 
collecting bills, running finances, dealing with accountancy, doing HR. That's our ops department, right? Like there are all these other functions where people are aligned and people are more aligned maybe with their disciplines than with the entirety of the company, right? Like eight to 10 can truly share a mission. Everybody's talking. You can go out to lunch together. You can, you could literally, the whole company. You really can't. Can eat together on a regular basis, connect. No, you go to each no, other. 80 people. Like we, we don't know what's going on in the little, in the circles and we're remote right now. So we don't know what's bubbling up. What's, what's brewing in different parts of, no, that's of right. New York. 10 is like, we're going to each other's weddings. Yeah. Seems like you're having a bad day. People can vote on office snacks. I yeah. Mean, it's, yeah. You know, it's stuff like yeah. that. Right. So it's very, very cohesive. So no, I mean, okay. So now we're in a situation we feel as the leaders of Postlight, it took me a while to figure out what my what my job was. My job is to always identify growth for Postlight and then in partnership with you, look for ways to achieve that growth. That is the dumbest thing I could say out loud, yeah. but it's utterly true. Well, I mean, what it is true. What does the CEO of Postlight do? People think that the CEO of Postlight is like either playing golf or looking at spreadsheets. The CEO of Postlight kind of idly looks at Twitter sometimes reads a lot of PDFs, thinks about six months from now, and then talks to Rich for three hours, and then we make a decision. <laughs> you got to be able to, you got to sell it better than that. If you're the keynote speaker at some conference, dude, it better be better than that. It better be better than that. Look, we speak to product managers a lot. We speak to designers a lot. We speak to engineers a lot. We speak to technical leaders a lot. We speak to executives a lot. What we're speaking to here, and let's just say it out loud, is someone that's either starting a business or has aspirations to do so. And, and that is a big moment, right? And, and I think there are two things to keep in mind when you do it. You know, I was in a, at a conference and I ran into Linda from lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A, which I think now is owned by like ExxonMobil. I think they got acquired or whatever. But <laughs> L- Linda's in the airport. And we were, my old agency, Arc90, was 24. And she looked at me and she yep. was like 300 at that point, right? And she said, Ooh, that's bad. I was like, what do you mean? It's bad. She's like, you're in that terrible spot. 25 to 50, you got to get HR. You got to get like a finance. You got to get a bookkeeper. You can't have fun anymore. And it kind of hit me that there are these tiers you you leap across as you grow. So first off, decide. If you're going to do it, decide what you're really aspiring to do. What most people have visions of is big, growing, successful agency and the toast at the holiday party, right? Like, I can't believe what we've built together. This is such a wonderful thing. I can tell you that those are really a sliver of the moments around growth. If you've decided that you're going to grow, the thing that we've succeeded with, and this is, I think we should say out loud because people wonder what we do all day at Postlight, is we've created a lot of heat around Postlight, right? That is the beginning of a process where you have to literally pluck certain molecules out of that heat and turn them into growth. And what we've done successfully, without it, without doubt, because we are five years old and we can, we can barely keep up with, with opportunities, is we've created that heat such that enough options are being put in front of post light. So park that for a second. That is half the battle. We wouldn't be talking about growth if we were coming out of a pandemic and like, my God, what are we going to do? This is a disaster. It has not been the case. However, when you do that, 
I wish I could tell you we could decide exactly how many molecules we want in front of Postlight. You're not allowed to decide that. If you're going to create opportunity, and that's through marketing, through outreach, through messaging, through branding, you don't know what's going to come back at you. You can be too successful with it. You know what it is, but, but and here's how you get in that situation. So suddenly you have more leads than you can follow. So here's how you get in that situation. But that's actually, that's good. It feels bad, but it's good. We decided about, I would say about a year ago, that no matter what happened, we were going to continue to market the firm. Because we, what would happen before that is we'd get really overwhelmed. And then literally you and I would go on to client projects. And help out, yeah. Uh, yeah. Start working on things. Because, yeah, because the firm was so busy. And as a result, that part of growth would get less attention. But everything's a lagging indicator. So then four months later, you got all your work done. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, there's no more work. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't been focusing on creating new opportunity for the, for the firm, right? You got to slam and jam that gas pedal and never leave up. And if you need other people to help you do it, you do that. And so that, that's where we got and so that's good. That's number one. Yes. Number one, yes. never stop marketing. The busier you are, the more, the louder the signal should be that you must continue to market and grow the firm because you are three to four months away from not having new clients or new work yeah. or new customers. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's funny how simple it all is, right? Like always be looking for growth. Don't forget that things take time. Like it's, it's really like, chicken soup for the soul level advice. There's not a lot that's shocking. There's not. It can be, as you look at the jagged path, I wish I could tell you it was a straight line for post light. When you look at the jagged path and you're hitting one of those dips, you do wonder to yourself, am I really going to go spend a lot of money on marketing? And, and the, the answer is yes, you are. You are going to spend, in fact, when things are down, it's so tricky to make this decision. What you want is steadiness. And that's what took us a long time to achieve. That, And I also, we should talk about, how do we help people who are looking for growth, right? Like that is actually our real job. Our job is to grow Postlate. And the way we do that is by growing other people, organizations, and projects. Yes. Yes, that's right. And I think we do a good job of that. I think, look, this can sound like quasi-sales for a second, but we like to talk to people about where they want to go and where they sit inside of the machine they are in. Like that is something we like to do. Has little, very little to do with technology in the early conversations. Because people have aspirations or they're dealing, they've been told, go solve this problem that has been eating away at this organization for eight years. You have been blessed with the opportunity to solve it, which means success or failure. And then they keep paying us, right? Like that to me is a, a tremendous measure of success is that people think that we are critical to their growth. We have one client we've been with for four years, four plus, and they say it just straight up. Like you're absolutely critical to our growth. You you unlocked a lot of things for us. And uh, as a result, we make more money. So you will continue to work with us, right? Like that one was really specific, actually. I'll get that, that client I'm talking about, sort of financial services adjacent. They went, we have a lot of legacy code and we have a lot of web platforms and we want to enable the people who use our products to do so faster. And it, it's if you were to reduce the whole problem space, it's that they had form fields with thousands of different uh, drop-down boxes, and we were able to make that a much faster, more fluid, and, and hierarchical process. Even and that takes a lot of time. And so there, the growth was really obvious. Yeah. It was like if you let people do this faster and better, you'll have your model will work better, and your people will use you more. And it it worked beautifully. I want to I want to share one of the things I'm coming to terms with as a byproduct of growth that your total irrelevance. I mean, I wouldn't say total, but my <laughs> diminishing my 
My that was a little that was a little gift yeah, to the rest of the company. There's an right? inverse <laughs> correlation between growth and a leader's relevance, and that is success. One of the most important things a leader can do is come to terms with the fact that they are not secret sauce. You are not the critical reason something is a success, especially as it gets bigger. Because if you're 60 people and you're starting to see real success, you as an ingredient in that success is diminishing over time. And a good leaders know that. They want it. They actually rejig their organizations to embrace it. They actually externalize a lot of the things that they think they do well so that others can do them well. They educate others. But boy, is it is a moment. Even though it was, it is the master plan. What has been the hardest part for you? I think the hardest part for me is trusting and accepting the judgment of others. God, that is a severe thing to say. Yeah, you're very, very risk-oriented. And so I think for you, it's just sort of like, if I let go of this, I can't guarantee a good outcome. If I hold on to it, I can take responsibility for a good outcome. And I know for sure, having done this before a hundred times, that I can get us where we need to be. Which lands, lands arrogant here, right? That sounds like nobody can do it better than me, is what I'm saying. And it's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, you know, a leader in a small company that's self-funded carries a lot of anxiety. They carry a lot of, they run a lot of fail state scenarios, right? Like, I, like One of the hardest lessons for me as your co-founder was exactly how much anxiety I, I actually needed to be feeling. I was like, oh, well, here we go. And we're having an agency. And then like about 18 months in, I was like, oh God, this is terrifying. I am <laughs> facing into the absolute gaping maw of capitalism. And it doesn't care if I lose, I'm going to lose an arm, right? Like it was just. <laughs> it's a skewed and unhealthy perspective. My sources of frustration is, is seeing a, a leader below not be as anxious or upset or angry as I am, which is a ridiculous feeling to have. It's like, why aren't you freaking out right now the way I am? And it's like, oh, wow, it's a healthy leader who's actually thinking about the problem the right way. But letting go, uh, frankly, letting go. And and that is that is something that I'm still working on. I acknowledge it. I, I think I'm getting better at it, but I know there's a ways to go. I do swoop in sometimes. I'm not going to lie. And that's hard. I mean, I know you. I love you. We've been friends for a while. You will always swoop in. You know, I will be 72 years old and I'll be like, hey, Rich, I'm thinking I'm going to, you know, paint the shed. And you'll be like, oh, well, hold on yeah. a minute. Right, 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 right. You're buying the wrong paint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that is, I know my own personality. I like to factor in everything, think it through, and then maybe come to a conclusion six to eight months after I've got all the facts, right? And without that animating force, I realize, like I always need, you know, in any kind of partnership that I'm involved in, I need an animating force. It's not that I'm passive. It's just that I really like to know all the variables. Mm. And then once I once I figured it out, I'm like, let's go. But that's often often no one's left. Yeah. By the time I, I kind of the reason our partnership works, and and we've talked about this before, right? Which is that you move. You're very fast on your feet. You have a ton of experience, and you start things moving. You hear them, and you go, whoa, okay, no, we're going to fix that right now. And then usually the next day, I'll be like, what about this angle? And you'll be like, yeah, okay, okay, let's let's go. And so like those cycles kind of keep moving forward. For me, the, the, the real challenge was a sense of relevance, right? Like I started to, the business started to scale. When we started this thing, I didn't have the operational skills, but Postlight represented, it was literally a reflection. I brought in so many leads. I was really proud of that because I didn't know what else I was supposed to do. So I was like, like an enormous amount of the recruiting, an enormous amount of the 
the inbound was due to my social network and public presence. And I was really, really proud of that because mm. I, I got it. I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm bringing things in. And then you would take what I brought in and be like, okay, we're going to turn this into business. And it was good. And then the clients would be really happy. I mean, we got one client because I did an event with Miranda July. Like literally yeah. that, like that's where we were in the early days. Over time. And by design, right? that like, has shifted, right? Well, and it was absolutely critical. This I've been in firms and been connected to firms. When the firm is a reflection of the founder's ego and their social network, it is absolutely always on the cliff edge because you know you're like one bad day or like you you run out of friends really fast when you're trying to charge them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like you don't; those aren't friends anymore, right? And so the the firm had to stop reflecting me in a really, really specific way. And it had to be, had to be its own brand and it had to have its own voice. And then there are moments when it's like, oh, that's getting taken away. It's not me anymore. And well, what, what value do I bring? That, that is success though, isn't it? Here, what was, here's what was tricky. And I'll narrate this because I think it'll be valuable for other people. You don't go, well, I'm still really valuable. What you do and what I did is step back and go, all right, I'm less valuable, but I still have the ability to drive a lot of value into this brand, into this place, mm. without it being my voice and my name on everything. And one of the direct results of that, which I'm very, very proud of, you had written um, a thing called Upgrade a couple of years ago, and it was kind of showing its age. It was a sort of advisory, uh, digital for, transformation, kind of a management yeah. consulting text. And you were like, you were like, dude, take it and just do something with it. So we have a new something new to to publish. And I'd always liked it. And I just went bananas for like three weeks. Nobody knew what I was doing, but I turned it into this book and I pulled in stuff from all over the firm, from things people had written on the, on the website and, and sort of all. And so it became kind of what I was doing was just kind of collectively bringing the voice of Postlight together in this very visual way. Mm -hmm. And we started to send, we've sent this now to consulting firms and sort of like sort of big players in our industry and like do-gooders and, and, and arch capitalists and so on. And they asked for more copies. They asked for it digitally. They want more. Yeah. And it's, that is Postlight voice. They're not saying I want the new what is code from Paul Ford. They're saying I right. want more copies of Catalyst. Right. Right. That to me, if you were to say, you know, okay, the brand is working, the company's growing, the management's very good. Where can you drive the most value into this organization? And not just into, but also out to the clients and the and sort of out to the world because Catalyst has value even if you don't engage post. Yeah. I'm proud of that. Right. So to me, that's like, okay, that is a good role for me as a co-founder. Like that's a that's a perfect activity. And I'm gonna take enormous value from seeing that represent the firm and and almost like being involved in it. And driving it as opposed to, yeah. it doesn't have to validate me directly. Well, first off, let's just to clarify, uh, you know, leadership is saying out loud, still accountable to us. We still kind of guide and mentor and give thoughts and give perspective because we are a little distant now. And that's actually helpful because we have experience and we can, we can help guide the partners at Postlight. But I think what you're getting at here, which I think can be applied universally, is that shedding ego is important for growth. And we just landed a, a pretty big marquee client, right? And I was a little uncomfortable with the proposal that was sent. And that is not because I'm right. That is because I have a lot of issues and a lot of problems letting go. But I got to tell well, you, I just mean, to finish this thought, I mean, you you know what works. And when you saw this, you said, I'm not 100% sure that will work. Now, the question is, do you have to be 100%? It turns sure? out, no, because they landed it. And I'm very proud of that moment. I don't want to be proven right. 
in that setting. I want to actually be proven wrong and I want to adjust and learn. And my personality is my personality. So there, there's that. The, the wiggle room there is only so much, but it feels good. No, it feels really good to see the machine <laughs> work really, without no, it really your should. Look, this is right? and, and that's a really awesome thing. We were having this conversation in real time as, as that proposal was getting yeah. written. And it was like, kind of like, yeah, no, I see I it. Think I think you said to me, calm down, it's Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't Which just that. Which you've said to like, me numerous times throughout the five years. You know what actually calms you down is when I translate it into the concept of risk. <laughs> you know, like, and so I'm, I, I, I remember what I said really specifically was like, I can see what you're saying about this proposal, but frankly, I don't feel that the gaps that you're identifying, which are totally real, increase any risk to us about getting this engagement. Which proved to be right, right? And that's an awesome thing. This is the new kind of leadership for you and me, right? Which is instead of going, I'm going to go in and fix it, going, how am I going to communicate what I saw? How am I going to decide whether that is a priority of the firm or not to address that gap? Because the gap still exists. Like you saw a few things that probably could have cut risk. There'll be future situations where that knowledge is going to be valuable to the entire team. But instead of having to convey that in the moment by swooping in, you now structure that as like, how am I going to communicate that ongoing kind of forever, right? Like this is, there's going to be more, there's going to just be more of this. And, And that that risk-based thing, which is involves letting go an enormous amount of internal anxiety, the anxiety that kept us safe. Anxiety is a safety mechanism, right? It's it's your body telling you, let me protect this thing. You, you know, you get in there, get in front of it, right? And it's very hard to fight. And I've seen tremendous numbers of entrepreneurs who never win. The anxiety always wins, right? Yeah. But it doesn't scale. You can't have growth. You can't have, and, and I mean all kinds of growth. If you're just always in fear. Yeah, and and one of my biggest fears is that my anxiety translates into, you know, a toxic or contributes to toxicity in an environment where there it's stress and it's like, oh, like I was, I, I worked for someone who they would be prep meetings before the meetings with the with the leader, with the CEO. And they would be like, well, let's. I, I worked with you with that person. And I mean, they were a nuclear. Yeah. And, and that's just not healthy. Right. And so, so I think the big takeaway here, you know, usually we kind of share a, a takeaway, which is, you know, to grow, I think trusting others and letting go and really truly giving ownership to others and giving opportunity to others to succeed or fail is is absolutely key. It's the only way you can really truly scale in a healthy way, I think. Here, let me let me workshop this for a second. Okay. Here's here's let me take what you said and translate it back to what we've been saying, which is your anxiety appears to be driving growth as a company grows. But there is a certain point where and I actually think that's probably a little bit of a fiction. You don't need to be that anxious. But regardless, you're going to commit to it early if you're an entrepreneur because it's one of you, the, one of the things that drives you forward is your, your anxiety about the business. And you're going to feel it more closely. As you hit, if you really want to grow, you have to let that go and just let growth speak for itself. How are we going to grow? We're going to get good people. We're going to build a good culture. And we're going to, some things are going to slip through the cracks because we can't control everything. Yep. And I'm going to let that happen. Yep. I'm going to let it happen because I can see the bigger picture of growth. And I'm going to go up the mountain. Instead of feeling like I'm under siege, which is how a small business feels, I'm going to be climbing steadily towards growth with my yep. team. And that 
is a really big reframing. And I look at, I think it's taken us about a year and we're starting to feel really good about it. And it's been a hell of a year. Yeah, it has been. Let's a hell never of a year. have that year yeah. again. Good year for Postlight, but lots of pressure is what's happened in the year of 2020. Yeah. So. And I mean, look, releasing that anxiety is great for you, it's great for your team. I'm at a stage in my life where I do not, I truly have yet to find a, a leader who doesn't have some of that characteristic. I, I think that's right. I think it's a drive. It's a it's a constantly shoveling f- like coal into the furnace kind of a thing. It's just, it is part of, I think it's part of success. It's a matter of how do you stay healthy and cultivate healthy relationships with your teams uh, at the same time. You know, one of the one of the things that happens here is I think there's a lot of very good management processes. People associate the processes with management. The processes are there to manage and control that anxiety, but you need that sort of forward moving impulse before you have the processes. Like the processes are there to to give structure to that desire and that that ambition. And uh, you can't actually back your way into that ambition through the processes. And that is a very uncomfortable fact that we're all negotiating all the Uh, time. You just gave us the the audio snippet that we'll use to market this particular podcast. Uh, Really, I mean, as we've been saying, isn't that my job? On that note, Paul, uh, I hope this has been helpful. This is kind of a left turn podcast for from the ones we typically do, but it's what we're going through. And well, it's we what needed a lot of to talk are. about something besides the United States of America. <laughs> fair you enough. Know. Fair enough. Fair That's, enough. We needed a little yes, break. Yes. All right, all. Uh, we will not pitch Postlight to you because this is the Postlight podcast. Check us out at postlight.com. We do a lot of great work for a lot of people. We're hiring a lot uh, across all disciplines. If you're interested in in working with really, really talented designers, engineers, product managers, product strategists, hit us up. Check out postlight.com slash careers. Have a lovely week, Paul. You too, Rich. I'm going to talk to you in the next three to five minutes, but have a lovely week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.